blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake I'm up so to. sorry. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. Tamsin <laughs> doesn't know how to use headphones. I'm sorry. We tried to record for 20 minutes and she's like, I can't hear you. And I'm testing everything and it's all fine. Tams, are your headphones plugged in? They were not plugged in. The worst thing was like the unplugged head, po- head, head I can't even speak, headphone plug thing was like right, lying right there next to my phone. And I was like messaging you and checking stuff and turning my headphones up and down and being like, Ayla, your computer's broken. Reminds me of years and years ago when Justin Bieber posted up this picture on Instagram being like, oh, I love listening to my new music and the headphones weren't plugged in to anything. <laughs> oh, I'm so silly. Anyway. Hi. Welcome back. And we're back. Uh, and I'm like a tree. I, I am, am a, a tree. tree. <laughs> my name means oak tree in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Does it? So you are a tree a too. Tree. That's cool. So this is Scalpels and Tequila, season three, episode two. I am a tree, which I think is like one of the strangest titles so far. It's really on the nose for something so small that happens in this episode. Um, and I, I looked know. up the song and it's, it's it's a nothing song that I've never heard before. The tree storyline. I was quite. It's just. I just have nothing really to say about it. Like it just happens. It's, it's, it's there. It's there to lead know. Bailey on a path. Yeah, totally, totally. It's purely for Bailey. I was sitting here thinking, wow, I remember the tree being so much more of a thing. Do you remember it being much more the main plot? Yeah, I remember the tree being a huge thing. Taking up a lot of space in the episode, whereas this was like, oh, yeah, there's a kid impaled on a tree. I think I also think potentially we're just so caught up and we are so invested in where the characters are at at this moment as well. And so the tree just kind of comes and goes, except for the one (laughs) thing with Bailey's abdomen. (laughs) Yeah. So the theme of this episode, but this episode is all about impulse control or more specifically lack thereof and the cleanup that happens after you do something impulsive. So in Meredith's monologue, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she says, the thing that makes us human is what we can control after the storm, after the rush, after the heat of the moment has passed, we can cool off and clean up the messes we made. We can try and let go and what of what was. So for my notes, I basically, I just think that's what everyone is doing. You've got these two patients that are polar opposite of the impulse control spectrum. You've got Benjamin who has absolutely no impulse control because he has a brain injury so that he just speaks without thinking. So he's constantly apologizing for his lack of control and his lack of ability to monitor what he's about to say. And our other patient sits completely in the opposite realm where she has been so much in control of every single thing that's happened for so long. She is now only discovering what it's like to kind of live a little bit freer. And then all of our characters are dealing with this aftermath of something that they've done, whether for good or bad. So Meredith slept with Derek. She's kind of dealing with the consequences of that. Christina was caught in her panties in front of Burke's parents. His mum specifically. Oh, can we not say panties though? Absolutely not. We have to say panties. All right. I'm going to say them again. Kelly is dealing with the aftermath of what happens after she took the panties off the board, which for her, this aftermath is good. George is dealing with the fact that he didn't say I love you to Kelly. Derek is dealing with the fact that he is ending his marriage, did end his marriage, left the panties in his pocket So Addy knows that the marriage is over. He's kind of dealing with what he's done to Addy for the first time. He's never really thought about it. He's never really cared about what Addy thinks. And all of a sudden this episode, he's actually thinking about his wife. I think he's thinking about trying to cover his tracks. Well, he got caught. Mm. So he has to deal with it. Izzy is dealing with the fact that she got up off the bathroom floor, that it's the next day. 
she has to occupy herself. She's dealing with her grief and her depression. And she and she's impulsively making muffins. Exactly. Probably with far too much coconut extract. The chief is dealing with the consequences of how he had no impulse control many, many years ago. He's dealing with the consequences of the fact that he had an affair ages ago, years ago, and the consequences are all just catching up to him. He also has been ignoring his wife for a really long time, and he's finally having to deal with some consequences of that. And then we also have this other kind of theme or motif coming through this episode of this idea of cake and sweet treats masking pain, which I think is really interesting because we have these two women who are dealing with something huge in their life and they are in a lot of pain and they are using cake as a way through it. I read something once that when you look at the size of the universe and how the earth is barely a speck of dust floating through it, we're barely a speck of dust compared to all of the other planets in our solar system. Why does it really matter if I eat an entire cake? I am just a speck of dust inside a giant's eye. Eat that cake, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between. Um, I mm-hmm. exactly absolutely adored. Miss Seabury, who was our patient who had terminal lung cancer and was supposed to be getting a surgery today, but they bust in on rounds and she is just double fisting five different kinds of cake because did you know bakeries deliver? And she's so ecstatic <laughs> to, to just have this moment of freedom and we learn so much about her during this episode that she has been restrained and controlled her entire life. She she never smoked, she never drank, she hasn't had a deserting year, she never even smoked a little bit of pot. It's the healthiest woman alive and now she has lung cancer. So fuck it, let's eat some cake. Why not? And even later we find out mm-hmm. that she, it's not just her, what she can put into her body She also lived a very restricted lifestyle. She had a husband who she was dutiful for, even though he cheated on her many, many times. She followed all the rules. She did everything she was supposed to. She never wanted to be labeled a slut or a hussy. And now she's like, I've got four to six months to live. And my prognosis for the surgery isn't great. So why would I spend it dying in this hospital when I could spend it going out and doing all the things I couldn't do, like ordering a dozen awful looking drinks? And I love her. Yeah. She reminds me of those kids. What's it called when Amish teenagers turn 16 and they're allowed to go out into the world? Rumspringer? Oh, yeah. And they have that year. That's what it's called? Yeah. Have that year of like whatever they want time. It's what she's doing. She's just giving herself permission to enjoy herself in all the ways that she's denied, been denying. It's a really great life lesson Mm -hmm. because I mean, her story is like you can try and be as good as you want, as healthy as you want. You can try and follow all the right rules, but you can still get cancer. You're still going to die. Yeah. So it's all about just like not having regrets. Live a little. Push boundaries occasionally. Yeah. If that means wheelchair racing and shoplifting chocolate, then go for it. And I love so much that she, Alex follows into her into the bathroom. I loved it. Yeah, I loved that entire thing. The word slut is used a lot this episode and it really dated the whole thing for me. We definitely have to talk about that because not only the word slut, but also the word stripper in like a derogatory way. Yeah, that as well. And I hated that. Especially when when the episode ends with in such like a sexually empowering way, mm-hmm. why they've been kind of making sex sound so dirty for the rest of the episode is so bizarre. Well, because that's what Miss Seabree says. She's talking about her husband. Like no one ever called him a slut and he slept with all of these women. But I never slept with anyone because I didn't want to be called a slut or a tramp. Why do men not get to be called a slut? She's like, and Alex says, well, not all women are called that. Some just choose to embrace it and walk on. And Alex also says something really interesting in that moment where he says like, and some men are, and he says, he says a name that he gets called. Oh, I didn't write it down because I'm a dumb Asshole. Oh, okay. Well, that's not, 
it's not really the same thing, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's back to that old motif of, I think we've said it before, a key that can undo many locks is a great key, but a lock that can be undone by many keys is a terrible lock. Oh my God, you have said that before. And the first time you said it, it like blew my mind and I totally forgot about it. And it's just just as repugnant. Yeah. Yeah. But biggest problem with it is women are not inanimate objects. (laughs) (laughs) Chastity is not a virtue. I'm sorry. So I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to wait for two minutes. And if you have any interest in fulfilling the wish of a dying woman, you know where I'll be. I don't think he was taking one for the team either. She is a fiercely sultry woman. And it's so coquettish and adorable the way that she's saying, Alex, if you could just do the sex with me, that'd be swell. Yeah. So sweet. Good on her for like putting herself out there like that and asking for what she wanted. The best part is when he comes out and he's playing with his shirt and Dr. Bailey comes up to him and says, oh, babe, Alex, I need to apologize to you. And all he says is, no, Bailey, you don't. I promise I will never get physical with a patient again. I died. I think I actually made a loud barking noise at that. <laughs> I really love this episode. Same. It was very it's fun. very fun. It's got great lines. It's even in its darkest yeah. moments, like seeing Addison walk in to the chief's office wearing a bucket hat with a shirt covered in coffee and all he says is, you've got a coffee stain on your shirt. And she's like, you've got a bed on your couch. I need the day off. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to do some drinking. Mm-hmm. Like it's all pretty dark. Oh, yeah. But it's just, see, you've got a bed on your couch. It's done. Just no filter. It's done really well. It's like laughing mm-hmm. at all of this pain, like feels okay because of the way it's written. Mm. Yeah. I also, there's, I really love that Izzy and Addison, who are, you know, usually the most done up and the most kind of, always trying to like look really beautiful. You know, they, they're both, um, they both take pride in their appearance more so than some of the other female characters and seeing both of them in this episode, no makeup, shattered, heartbroken and dealing with grief in two really huge different ways and having like no, not caring what anyone thinks of them in this moment, I think is, is really beautiful and really powerful and really, you know, just great of those actors to do. It's it's pretty rare to see an a female presenting actor in TV or film without makeup on. And I feel like these two nail it and they still look great. Well, I had a question about this for you. Like I'm sure sometimes they put on makeup to make them look extra tired, but I've always had this theory in my head that if they ever want to make it an actor look tired or like they've just woken up, all they do is just don't put makeup on them. I think it varies from show to show. But, yeah, mm. I I mean, I kind of think that's the best thing. I mean, unless you're going to, um, like, your skin tones can be washed out from harsh lighting or something, then potentially you'd put a little bit of colour so you don't, so that the lights don't make you your skin look an unnatural colour, depending on what lights they're using. That sounds fair. When they uh, it was black and white films, most of the makeup that they used, um, it's like, to make your lips look nice and red, they would use a yellow lipstick and all of the contouring and makeup on your face would be mauve or blue colours because they would show up better on screen. So more like um, colour theory than makeup as such for the lighting. Yeah, totally. That's off topic, I suppose. Because the other question I had for you is, talking of conversations in Weber's office, Derek wanders in and says, do you know where Addison is? And Weber's very much, he just says, she's gone for a day of drinking, considering that you left some woman's mm-hmm. underpants in your jacket pocket. And I just, it was all very matter of fact. And Weber doesn't seem to be upset with Derek about any of this. He seems to almost sort of laugh it off like, ha, 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 you know you wanted her to find them. And I'm like. No, maybe call him out for being a fuckwit. Weber isn't really in a position to call anyone else a fuckwit for having an affair because he is in the same boat in this episode. But he still could say something. Like he does. He says, I, for one, know what it's like to have an affair with someone with the last name Gray because apparently that's all out and about now. Well, the way, no, because Weber told him. 
Weber told Derek. Oh, yeah, he did. Sorry. So it's these two. These two have specifically had conversations about both of them having affairs in like multiple episodes now where Weber confided in Derek. Derek has confided in Weber. They keep having these, just the two of them talking about this subject matter. So I think that's like continuing that thread. But I do think the way Weber talks about this is a bit off. Almost jovial. Because he says like you shouldn't have put the panties in your pocket unless you wanted her to find them. And then he's like, well, I know a thing or two about affairs. Almost saying like I'm so much better at affairs than you are. Yeah, like I don't know. I'm still really mad at this whole Derek thing and not calling it off sooner because that's when he finds out officially that Addison knows that he had the affair. He was going to break it off today, but he was going to break it off before she found out. Now she's found out and he has to anyway. I'm like, meh. And you're right. It is all about him trying to backtrack the consequences of his impulsive actions. His defense is like, oh, I was, I was going to do it. I was, I was going to do it. I was going to do it today. I was going to do it as soon as I found her. It's like maybe you should have told her before you followed Meredith upstairs at the prom. And also, he shouldn't have been all sultry in the elevator with her. Sniffing of the hair. But here we are. There's two great things that happen in this episode, for me anyway, and that is panties on the bulletin board, Callie coming to the rescue, and Mama Burke. Mama Burke is terrifying. I, I just wanted to bring up something that we spoke about last episode, which was how the show always tries to make the women the villain. Because I feel like this happens with Mama Burke. I feel like we're supposed to villainize Mama Burke. I think this just happened in the early thousands. And yes, she's not the nicest, she's not the nicest <laughs> character, but she's also not wrong about Christina. She's not. But do you really think we're going to turn around and say justice for Mama Burke? No, 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 no. This is not in the same way that Addison is villainized and Callie is villainized. I just thought. Coming off that last episode and what we talked about watching this, it was just interesting because I hadn't fully thought about it before. Because every other time I think about Mama Burke, I think about, oh, Mama Burke, like Mama Burke's on the warpath, like Mama Burke's so big and scary. I don't disagree with you. What she does is she comes into the hospital, she sees her boyfriend's girlfriend who is a surgeon and who wants to be treated with the respect of being a surgeon. Her son's girlfriend her son's girlfriend stripped down to her underwear while she's supposed to be working I have I have nothing against strippers nothing against anyone stripping for their partner whenever however but not at work just because you're supposed to be saving lives like you're a surgeon you're at work it's just a bit inappropriate lock the door put a door jam so that's her, her first her first thing is that and then the next thing she overhears Kelly calling Bailey a Nazi. So she tells her off. And I think that's fair. I kind of wish Christina, it is kind of fair, but I kind of wish Christina threw back the fact that she's Jewish in Mama Burke's face. She didn't, smart. But I think what Mama Burke said later when she calls Christina selfish, because she says she wants to have coffee with Christina and she says some really outdated stuff about Mm. you know are you going to lessen your career when you get married you're not a spring chicken and you're like Ugh. so that's all gross yeah but then she calls christina selfish and she specifically says that you are selfish you pulled him out of a sick bed because you are selfish and he is giving and that is not going to last much longer and i hadn't thought about it that way but the second she said it, i was like hm, well, fair it's like you can see it from both perspectives we can see it from Christina's perspective because Christina is, and Christina is still my favourite character. I love Christina, but I love all of her flaws. And sometimes it is great to see characters with huge flaws like this be called up for their flaws because that is real life. And if the mother of your boyfriend is just trying to protect yeah. their kid, their son, these things will come out, you know. She is coming in here to judge her. It's it's awful and it's yuck, but it's kind of just like real life yeah. in some cases. Isn't it funny how every single one of our surgeons that we've seen interact with a parental figure yes. immediately turns mm-hmm. back into a child? We saw Meredith do it with her mum. She almost looked like a little kid with piggy tails. We see George do it and Burke yes. turns into George. 
He gets all bumbling and uncomfortable and doesn't know what to do. And I've been trying not to say this for the last five minutes, but do you know the door knockers in Labyrinth? In Labyrinth, there are the yeah. two door knockers, one that always tells the truth and one that always like no, yes. no, no, no. And they've got the thingy in his mouth and he takes it out and he mm-hmm. goes, oh, thank you. Um, that's exactly what Dr. Burke's dad looks like. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. But you're welcome. <laughs> so the other thing I want to say is, yes, Mama Burke says Christina is selfish for pulling him out of a sickbed. And I totally understand her point of view and her perspective on that. Also, especially after Burke's parents met her derriere before they saw her face. I don't think it's fair that Christina has to have her first ever conversation with Burke's mum without Burke. Mm -mm. Burke has not defended her to them at all yet, at all. And she says, like, please help me. Your mum wants to have coffee with, help me. And him and his dad, even though it's a cute, it's a cute little scene, him and his dad share this little laugh. I'm also like, it's kind of, it's kind of yuck. It's kind of weird and misogynistic. And it's like, ha, ha, ha. She's going, going to go get thrown to the wolves. Like, ha, ha, ha. You've got to go deal with her. Ha, ha, ha. Like um, my mom, my wife, she's really harsh. She's going to make it a horrible time. Like that's kind of the knowing laugh. And it's like, if you really loved Christina, you would be like, hey, mama, I'm really sick. Can we postpone this? Christina's busy. You'd stick up for it. You'd be like, Christina's busy. Can we have this first meeting? Like, just stay in here. Let's have a chat together. Well, that's what I was going to say. Helping helping Christina doesn't necessarily mean getting out of your sickbed and coming to the canteen. Maybe it means pulling your mum aside and saying, hey, Christina's pretty rattled about this morning and is feeling kind of funny and guilty about it. It was a really awkward conversation. Can we maybe all catch up at a later date or I'll bring her in and we'll all sit around and have a chat one-on-one. I, I don't, Just stick up for it somehow. But also the amount of time it took Christina to take off her pants was definitely enough time to say, my parents are coming. The maybe Burke is not as giving as Mama thinks he is. 100%. Burke is selfish. We know this. Christina is also selfish. That's, it's just, just sometimes people are selfish. These are just two selfish people purely because they're both very, very focused on their own careers. And for them, that's really important. And they do think about themselves. And then we learn that Burke's probably selfishness comes from the fact that his parents coddled him so hard, but that's probably something we as white people can't really, can't really talk about too much because I reckon it's probably inherently black American trauma. And the parents push him hard. So well, that is something that she specifically says to Christina that Christina, as a person of colour, should know better. Exactly. But it you mentioned Benjamin before, our patient that has absolutely no filter, just says exactly what they're thinking and it comes across as very impulsive and nasty all the time, but it's not. They're just being honest. And Christina and Meredith quite like it and he calls Christina out saying, well, you seem like a pretty selfish person. And you were saying before that, Burke and Christina are both selfish. It's exactly what Christina says. She says, I'm a surgeon. I have to be selfish to be a surgeon. And my partner mm-hmm. understands that because he is also a selfish mm-hmm. surgeon. But the Burke that we saw interacting mm-hmm. with Mama and the Burke that we see are two polar opposites, two very different people. And I wish that we would have been able to see more of the conversation they yeah. had when Burke sat down. Because I think the dynamic, I think this dynamic of Mama Burke, Burke, Christina and Burke's dad, I like it. I think it's really interesting. I think there's so much they could explore with all these characters talking together, Christina figuring out if she can fit into this family, Mm -hmm. Burke hopefully defending Christina to his family and explaining why he loves her and why they work. And I want to see that. I find that really interesting. I agree with you entirely. But I I just think from the initial get-go of... I don't know, not communicating with your partner enough and being like, hey, so here's a couple of things you need to know about my family because you're probably going to meet them because I'm in hospital for a long time. And mum and dad, you've met some of my partners in the past. I didn't appreciate the way you treated them. Here's a debrief on them. They are this, they are this, this has happened, this has happened. Please don't broach these subjects. You have those mm. conversations when you're you're bringing together two very important groups of people to make sure that it goes as fluidly as possible. Well, I mean, that's kind of the adult way to handle it. But as you mentioned before, and what we saw is that Burke isn't 
communicator, an adult around his parents. <laughs> he flips into this child just trying to be pleasing. He just wants to please his mom. But we spoke about that in season one as well, how a lot of people go throughout their entire life not having relationships with their parents that aren't child and parent. Mm-hmm. I actually said something. I, I caught up with my stepmom last weekend and I had a really interesting conversation with her about millennials in general and the fact that we're the first generation that's never been called an adult and that's very strange. Um because you know it as well as I do working in the industries that we've worked in, that it's always been very hard for us to sort of gain respect because when we were 18, mm-hmm. we were like, cool, people will start respecting us now, we're adults. Didn't happen. We we're 21 the same, we're 25. And now you and I are both in our 30s and we speak to boomers and they're like, you're still a kid. And I'm like, no, I'm an adult. But the best way that I figured out to put it is that I have friends who are married and have children and they still don't host Christmas at their house. They still either go to their parents' Christmas or their partner's parents' Christmas every year. We don't host Christmas. We are not adults. I feel like a lot of the time I don't have a say in stuff like that. Like it's like this is Christmas, this is where you have to be at this time. And I really struggle being like, hey, I'm in my 30s. I don't I don't have to come. Like I'm allowed to make other plans, but I feel like I'm not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, I set boundaries because I don't have a connection with my family, so I haven't done that for a real long time. But I've wanted my friends to come to my Christmas and they can't because they feel like you, that they have to go and do a thing that they don't want to. Uh-huh. Um, so now we just have this boundary where one year we go to Evan's parents' place and the next year we have my family Christmas, yeah. which I invite them to every year. Oh, it's too far to come from Geelong. Okay. It's it's hard to do, but it's that it's these little things that I've noticed that show the huge divide of millennials and a really great examples as to how you can explain what it's like to be a millennial because we're still not treated as adults. Then you see people in TV shows like Dr. Burke that we grew up with and how we're molded, and this is a an adult. He's got to be in his mid-30s, still acting like a child around his parents, giving us the example of that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to, you know, do whatever they say and and be childlike and, and let them boss us around and just basically fall down and take whatever's given. And um, I think Grey's Anatomy is, again, showing us examples of how a whole generation was taught to behave in their adulthood. I agree with that and I've never thought about it before. <laughs> But yeah, think about every character we've seen is in their late 20s, early 30s, and they've all taught us how to behave. So I guess that's Mama Burke. It's interesting. She, I do, as much as it hasn't aged well, I do love, um, I do love when Christina comes running to Burke and she's like, your mama thinks I'm a Nazi and she thinks I'm a stripper. She thinks I'm a Nazi stripper. I just find it funny. I find her delivery of that line really funny. Even though what she's saying, it's um, I really enjoyed it all as well. Was it was it Nazi stripper or racist stripper? Oh, sorry, <laughs> racist stripper, racist stripper. <laughs> yeah, not no Nazi's wrong, but yes, all the Nazi stuff as well was really really good. I think it's written really well, and I love that finally after two seasons, someone's calling them out for calling Bailey the Nazi. Someone's calling them out. Because we called them out. We're like, oh, that's pretty inappropriate. Um, so I think you might be right. I think that the villainizing of Mama Burke isn't as deserved as we initially thought it was. Totally. I think she, the, I think the stuff that is deserving is the like, you need to be, you need to do less, like less of a big specialty. You need to be home. You need to be a wife. I think that's all antiquated and awful. Yeah, awful. And that's fine. That's I think that should be where the villainization stuff comes from. But instead it almost comes from like, oh, she, she I'm not allowed to say the word Nazi. She's ruining our fun. And then it's like, and she thinks I'm selfish. And it's like all this other stuff as well. I don't think she's great. I think she'd be a hard person to be your mum. I don't want to be a friend or anything. But I do think it's another case where, a female character in this show is like overly villainized. Correct. And as we've just discussed at length, a lot of the stuff that she's being villainized for is kind of Burke's fault. 
for not yeah. setting each of them up better. Totally. Yeah. So then we have our other character who's been villainized completely undeserving, saving the day, which is Callie. This episode is massive for Callie, even though she's not in it. You're going to say Addison. <laughs> oh, not yet. No. The panties on the bulletin board. This is one of my favorite scenes in Grey's Anatomy history. I really love the way that Bailey acts this out. I think the way she delivers these lines is so funny because she's talking about just a pair of panties, but it's like it's a bomb. Well, it is because she's talking about something else and I can't remember the life of me what it is and she just turns a corner and whose damn panties are on the bulletin board? It's got to be one of you and you're like, oh, everyone's in trouble. Yeah. And it is right in the middle of the nurse's station. Yes, it's right in the middle of so much hustle and bustle and everyone turns around. I just think it's brilliant. I'm going to say the actual dialogue because I love it so much. So I'm just getting in. So she's telling them what they all need to do. They've just finished rounds and she's giving out all of their little jobs for the day. She's saying to Karev, you can cover the pit. So you can cover the pit or you can, and her eyes change, her head tilts, she stops, she looks through all of them. She says, oh, you can tell me whose damn panties are on the bulletin board. <laughs> and everyone giggles and Meredith turns red. And even the art department that stretched those panties out and tacked them to the bulletin board with the lost and fa- it's just beautiful. She says, this is a hospital, people. Serious work happens here. We save lives here. Whose are these? And then Christina's like, you better claim them, Meredith. They're yours because she's going to think they're mine. Because everyone thinks I'm a stripper. Yeah. (laughs) And Bailey saunders over being like, I know it's one of you. It's always one of mine. And then she says, your favourite line. Which one of you left your damn drawers on my surgical floor? And all I could think of was Rizzo from Greece gets your filthy paws off my silky drawers and I love to think that Bailey in her youth played Rizzo in the school production of Greece and just can't get that out of her head because it's so perfectly that (laughs) (laughs) I love that fantasy (laughs) I love that for you but then we get this moment That just proves how fucking amazing Callie is. Callie is just the best human. Like That's all I can think of whenever I watch this. I'm like, wow, y'all don't deserve Callie. Absolutely not. Meredith? Callie deserves. Meredith has been so cruel to Callie. They have been excluding her and giggling at her and, you know, telling everyone that she doesn't wash her hands. She made her stand out in the cold, wouldn't let her in her house just, what, yesterday? But it's rubbish. Instead of ignoring this, or Callie steps in when she absolutely does not have to. This has Mm -mm. nothing to do with her. Because she's the only one who knows whose panties those are. She doesn't have to do this. This has nothing to do with her. And she Mm -mm. steps in and says, oh, no, did I leave my underwear lying around again? I'm so sorry, Bailey. She's Callie. She has a confidence about her that, and the way that she can deliver this line, like, you know what, it's no big deal, everyone, calm down. Chill out, bro. And she just absolutely saves Meredith's behind. And she didn't need to. At the expense of herself as well. Like, she does deliver it super well, but Mm -hmm. having Bailey think any kind of way about you that's not positive, that's a bullet. I mean, she still ranks higher than Bailey, though. Correct. But you want Bailey on your team. Absolutely. And you want George jealous. Yeah. So even though I don't think that's why she got the panties, I don't think she was doing it for George. She wasn't doing it for anything. She was purely doing it to save Meredith, which is extremely kind. The ramifications of this ends up being her being good for her. Yeah, she's one of the only characters that made an impulsive action and had it turn out good. Because George is sweating. He's furious. He has no idea where those panties came from at all. He's so jealous. He is Kermit-coloured. 
He's jealous. Which lets, which, you know, lets George's character have a bit of fun this episode as we see little flashes of him trying to flirt with other nurses and he's really wobbly today. Like he cannot find his groove because he's so thrown because he thinks Callie is off with someone else. And we we do get a scene where Meredith mm. thanks Callie, kind of. It's so backhanded. Kind of. Yeah. She just kind of ends up saying, I can tell George that they're mine. Yeah, she doesn't even thank her. Does she even <laughs> thank her? Oh, God, Meredith, you are, you're testing my nerves. Ka- Callie's still trying. She's like, no, 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 George is jealous. It's really cute. Don't say anything. Like trying to have this bonding moment. And Meredith just kind of goes, uh, sure. Callie's like, you guys could like get a hotel room. Maybe say thanks for saving my ass, not once, not twice, but for the third time. It's it's ridiculous how they just have this weird prejudice against Callie who has never done anything to them. Like, what is it? If anything, Callie has saved them. They were all whiny as fuck about Mopey George. She fixed that. Totally. He was lusting after Meredith. She fixed that. He was constantly on Izzy's ass and complaining and nagging that she wasn't spending enough time with him. Fixed that. So I think that they should be bending down and being like, thank you, girl. You came in. You are taking care of that boy for us. We love that. It's baffling. Baffling to me. I'm also throwing out that I'm wearing um, a Sarah Mera's on my t-shirt today because they are iconic and I love them. Uh yeah, we we all saw your thirst trap. This is looking this is gonna snatch. No. This is gonna come out way after that photo is gone from the interwebs of the Instagram story. Yeah, and I will put it right back up. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I have this great. God, they are so fine. They are. They are, they are so fine. So shout out to Sarah Ramirez because mm. they are amazing. And potentially we have new listeners at the moment and we did clarify this last season, but whenever we talk about Callie in the show, we are using she, her pronouns just because that is what the character uses at this point in time. Mm-hmm. If the character of Callie comes back, and potentially they become non-binary in the show. We'll use that. But whenever we are talking about Sarah Ramirez, we will use they, them pronouns. Uh, yeah, just purely wanted to make sure that people knew we weren't misgendering Sarah Ramirez when we talked about Callie in the context of Grey's Anatomy. I think we'll continue to mention it every couple of episodes. Speaking of LGBTQI characters this episode, Grey's Anatomy coming in with the ball, casual LGBTQ characters. This episode, which is really great to see, Benjamin is talking to mm-hmm. Meredith about how hot Derek is and how if he could, he'd have sex with Derek. And he also says to Christina, yeah, that you know if he had a he had a boyfriend. Joe mentions his boyfriend as well, and it's always been something so great for the show yeah. that it's always just take homosexual people. Yeah, it does take a little while for we we get main characters. But it happens. So Benjamin is such an interesting character. As we were kind of saying originally, like he is the the very obvious example of the theme of this episode, which is just like impulses and he says whatever he wants and it kind of rubs people the right and wrong way. Sadly, he doesn't make it, which leads to a really interesting conversation kind of at the end of the episode with Meredith and Christina. So Meredith's storyline, Meredith's storyline this episode is her trying to choose between Derek and Finn because they have both basically said you have to choose. Choose between us. She starts the episode off being like, obviously it's Derek. It's always been Derek. It's going to be Derek. It's obviously Derek. And he gets a bit steamy in the elevator with her. And then in the middle of the episode, she pops off home to check on Izzy and the muffins. And mountains and mountains of muffins. Izzy isn't home, but but Finn comes over while she is there. And he comes over to bring Izzy lunch. And he says when his fiance died, the only thing people could do 
was bring food and it actually helped. And it gets Meredith thinking that maybe she's going to choose Finn. Oh, yeah, because then he pushes her up against a wall and kisses her and we all love a bit of that. Oh, yeah, we all love a I'm not really that sensitive. Mm-hmm. Woof. All he needed to do was reach behind and, like, pull the ponytail back. Yeah, <clears throat> that would be my moment. I'm thinking about it too hard. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So it's like he did the the nice the nice thing, the thoughtful thing, and then he also did the sexy thing. He did the not treating me like a piece of shit for two years thing. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so mad about this entire argument. Like what, the Finn versus Derek argument? Yeah, because obviously not the guy that has been treating you like a piece of garbage for two years. Mm. Sexually harassing you, professionally harassing you, bullying you, mm-hmm. calling you a whore. Like Let's just not. Let's not go there. We've all had sex with someone we hate and it's been great. But no, Finn is delicious and he saves puppies. He crushes it. It's great. I find it hard to choose between both of them today because my favourite actually makes an amazing appearance at the end of the episode, so that's all I can really think about. But let's <laughs> I completely forgot about all of that and now it is all I can see because that towel is just the smallest towel. Mm-hmm. My cat is looking at me like, woman, could you just settle the fuck down? <laughs> Every time I get excited, he just turns and he's like, why? I am sleeping here. Sorry, big boy. We're talking about other big boys. Yeah. Oh, no, you were talking about, yeah, Christina and Meredith at the pub. I was. So then because Finn does the hot, attractive, nice thing and Derek's Mm -hmm. been a bit steamy in the elevator this morning, she's actually having a really hard time. So she goes to the bar, has a drink with Christina, and makes a couple of comments that I I just find, I find it, I just, I like this scene. Mm -hmm. I liked it too. Christina sits down and Meredith flips a coin and says, heads or tails, I can't decide who. Christina's like, well, obviously Derek, her heads, because he's a brain surgeon. And in my head I was like, yeah, tails. animals. dogs. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So same page. Page. And she flips the coin and we don't get to see who it is. But Christina's like, is that really all it's going to be? And she says, yeah, I'm taking a cue from Benjamin. I'm going to be impulsive and honest. And Christina just kind of flips it and says, well, Ben's dead. And he wasn't impulsive and honest. He had a tumour. He was brain damaged. He was sick and brain damaged, which is basically like, are you really going to make a decision like that with the flip of a coin. My cat is scratching at the door. La, 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 cats, cats, cats. Oh, Dreamy, just the man we were talking about. No, it's McDreamy. We were just talking about you, bud. Do you need to go to your bed? We also get another really great scene at the bar. The bar is here a lot today. It's some good convo. The bar is the place this episode. This is what we were saying in the start of the episode This whole patient with the tree basically exists this episode for this conversation. It delves really into Bailey. Bailey has been angry. Bailey has not been coping. And Bailey is the one that we look to, the strength, the pillar, the one that always has the right decisions, the one that always knows what to do in a crisis. That's her kind of character as we know. It's a lot of pressure. And since Denny's death, she has been a bit angrier than normal, a bit snappier than normal, which I think makes sense because one of her interns did something really, really bad. So she's furious. And then we get this chat at the bar. Now, do you have this written down at all or do you want me to? I do. Basically, she sees Harley Hernandez, which is the, the kid who had the um, the tree branch through him. His father has been blaming himself for his injury the whole time. Him and his wife are separated, we find out, and he'd never normally let his kid do this. And he says, it's your job as a parent to control them. 
to do what's best for them. And he says this to Bailey because he sees that he's drinking alone and she does and you know Addison's been sent home because she's wasted. And we see something go off in Bailey's head. And the next time we see her, she's in Gray's kitchen talking to Izzy. Before we actually get to this Izzy thing, all episode, Alex has been begging Bailey to go and talk to Izzy. Alex is pretty upset that Izzy decided to quit surgery, quit the program after Denny died. And he has just been begging Bailey to go and talk to Izzy to the point where Bailey actually screamed at Alex and said, stop defending your girlfriend. She killed a man, which is a really intense thing to scream at someone, but also not, not, not true. Also very true. Also in the middle of the OR. And then, yeah, Bailey has this chat with this dad who says basically like, yes, my son did it, but it's my job to stop him. And then Bailey goes and sees Izzy and it's a really beautiful moment and it's the end of the episode. No, it's not. I know. Sorry. This is the most like a messy we've talked about one in a long time, but sorry. We are coming to the wrap up of everything. So this is one of the ends. There are three big ones. Messy episode. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to even out soon, but there's a couple of monologues. And there's there's a couple of big looks, and these are the top three where we end. Bailey walks in. Is unveiled behind the three interns. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Into the muffin-ocalypse. It's beautifully done, all the muffins, actually. I really love the muffins. I couldn't stop thinking, like, I understand muffins, but also why not make a loaf or a slice? Who has that many muffin trays? I mean, she's ta- but she's taken them out. She's taken them out of the trays. They're just sitting on plates and stuff. Schematics. They're sitting on everything. <laughs> Every surface is covered in muffins. The crew must have had a great day. I'm going to read Bailey's lines. Go for it. She comes in. She says, I went soft. I had a baby and I swore it wouldn't change me, but it does. It does change you. I got tired, I got busy, and I stopped teaching. I stopped teaching when you needed a teacher the most. Izzy says, you couldn't have stopped me. And Bailey says, yes, I could have. You couldn't have stopped you, but I could have. And in the past, I would have. I went soft. And I'm partly to blame for what happened. So I want you to come back. We'll work it out. You'll talk to the chief because you are talented and you are capable. And we all make mistakes. And it is enough muffins. I've always stood by this. Anytime anyone's had a an issue with a member of staff, and it's something that I've caught a lot of flack for in many of my positions, that anytime there is a, an issue with a member of staff, I always throw it back on the other managers and say, were they trained correctly? Were they being supervised? Why was it let to go this far? And it's basically what Bailey's saying here, that she is partly the reason to blame. She did see, we saw in episodes several months prior, the overly familiar attitude that Izzy had towards Denny. And Bailey could have taken her off that service. She could have put pretty strict protocols in place. But Well, Bailey knew as well because you did get the odd comment from Bailey being like, you are off the case. No, 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 you can't be his doctor anymore. And then we had this one scene where Izzy was like, you have to let me tell him he's getting a heart. Let me tell him. And she's like, no, you're not his doctor anymore. You're too close to it. And she's like, please. And Bailey says, yes. She's like, oh, okay, go on then. But that was a little bit too little too late as well. So no, Bailey isn't to blame, but she was distracted. She was tired. And previously That's she may have I done things differently. Do I think Dr. Burke should have taken some fucking responsibility in this? Yes. Do I think that it's fair to blame it on motherhood? So this is what I have problems with. I think the show did the right thing in having Bailey bring up this conversation that it does always fall to the training and to the management and the fact that, yes, Bailey could have stopped her. Izzy couldn't have because she was in too deep, but Bailey could have. I think that's important. What I think the show shouldn't have done was blame the fact she had she had a baby because there's been a lot of, a lot of the Bailey having a baby storyline 
like has ended up being her saying she's ready to come back to work and the chief saying, no, 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 I know better than you. I know when you'll be ready to come back to work and you're not ready yet. And this man telling this woman that she has to wait and she's not up for it yet and she has to kind of be held back a little bit because she's decided to have a baby. Putting her on mummy watch? Mummy watch. Like I'm just, I hate that so much. Mm-hmm. So it's really annoying to me that Bailey finally came back, came back to surgery and got it together and the show's now being like, oh, yeah, but you weren't ready. Weber was right. You should have been on Mummy Watch longer and she's kind of getting slapped down for that. I just don't think that's fair. I don't like that that's the conclusion. And also in the in the one day, the and, and, and it was because she was on Mummy Watch that Burke gave her Denny for the day, mm. that she saw everything that was happening with Izzy and immediately took her off the case. Immediately. Where is Burke's responsibility in all of this? Denny was Burke's fucking patient. Like, I understand he's in a sickbed, but where is the reprimand? Where is the chat? Where is the acknowledgement of his level of responsibility as a teacher? Yeah, this should have been... It makes sense that it's Bailey because Bailey is like their direct report. Makes sense, but this conversation should have been Burke. It should have been Burke saying, I am also partly to blame. Correct. Because haven't we heard several times over and over that any mistake our interns make, yeah. the responsibility is on the attending. Also, the conversation that Burke and Izzy had over the phone when the heart transplant and the Erica Hahn thing was happening. Well, Burke was the only person that knew exactly what Izzy was doing. Correct. And what did he do about it? He, he went along with it because he was like, this is a good idea. I'm not going to say that it's a good idea. I'm not going to condone it. I'm not going to act like I know what's happening, but I know exactly what's happening and I'm just going to let it go. Great. Because of his pride and because of his pure wanting to win over Erica Also Hunt. plausible deniability. Didn't really have anything didn't really have anything to do as much as yeah he liked Denny thought Denny was great when it came down to it it was about him wanting to win over Erica because they went to school together yeah and that sucks that's so infuriating and Burke doesn't have to deal with any of the repercussions Burke never has to talk about this Burke never has to deal with this at all I guess his repercussion is that his hand is fucked but like suck it up princess I yeah so I think as much as this is a beautiful scene between Bailey and Izzy and Bailey kind of giving Izzy the ability to forgive herself a little bit. Taking some of that weight off and her shoulders. And taking away the muffins. And taking, yeah, I think that is beautiful and needs to be done by Bailey. I don't believe that Bailey should be blaming the whole baby thing. No. On the, I just think that's. And look, at the end of the day, if she is blaming the whole mother thing, Weber should also be held partly responsible because he is her direct report. So if he really did think that she was having issues and her workload and her performance was lacking, then some of her interns and some of her workload should have been delegated away. Yeah, but I just don't think she was. That's the thing. Watching the show, Bailey was fucking fine. No, no, neither do I. But but again, this is another instance of us talking about how times have changed for the better. So that's the first of our three wrap-ups. The next wrap-up involves Meredith, and she's still at the bar, but she's by herself now. And in classic early thousands slow motions, Finn comes sauntering down those stairs and you're like, yes, she's made the right decision. Mm -hmm. And then Derek comes sauntering down those stairs and says, hi, Finn. Hi, Derek. Like, oh my ah. God, wait. I thought you picked me. Meredith oh, lays wait, down the here. law. Wait, you didn't pick me? Oh no, who's that? And all of this happens to, I'm just going to say, this song that goes, Girl, you got me running on sunshine. sunshine. <laughs> Lord knows you just made my day, which is from the musical episode. Just going to throw that in there. So you know what? We're finishing off this episode with today. Boom. Musical episode. <laughs> Musical episode <laughs> I'm sorry. You're all welcome. But also I'm just going to flag. This is this, the musical episode song, this Running on Sunshine song, is the worst song from the musical episode. Who is it sung by? It's so uncomfortable to watch. It is sung by all of the couples. 
So it's sung by Meredith. It's it's while they're all kind of having sex. It's a and it's really oh. uncomfortable. Oh no, really I know exactly awful. the scene you're talking about. Yeah. It's like a montage of all of them like about to have sex and making out. So they all sing. So it's like Meredith and Derek are singing, Owen and Christina are I can singing specifically it. remember the Owen um, and Christina Penny. one and it's not good. It's just really uncomfortable because at least one person in all of these couples, sometimes both, are really, really uncomfortable with singing. And they're trying to sing and they're also like having their clothes ripped off and they're making out and it's just really hard to watch. So I'm so glad you gave out this trigger warning for all of our listeners so they can shut off the podcast when we say goodbye. I actually think you should all go watch it. <laughs> Google it. It's Absolutely not. You should watch the clip. Um, it's so. No. What's more uncomfortable is. No, it's not. It's empowering and it's great because Meredith has just turned around and said, you know what? Um, fuck you both. I think you both need to work a little bit harder and I'm going to date both of you if you're up for it. And then she walks out purse first and leaves them standing. She doesn't have to make a decision now. They both actually have said, like, take yeah. your time, take as long as you want. Great. I will. Good on her. Love that for you. So she's going to play the dating game for a while. But Derek has taken his time. He got out of surgery ages ago and he even managed to get changed and rock up to the bar at who knows what time to have a chat with Meredith before he decides to finally track down his wife who is staying at a hotel. Poor Addison has been a mess all day. We did mention it. The, the first thing she does in the morning is go straight to the chief and say, I need a day to go drinking. And he says, what, is there no women in labour today? And she said, nope, Mm -mm. because God knows that I I need need a day to drink. (laughs) Um, Which is a kind of odd thing to say to an alcoholic, but, you know, fucking Addison can do whatever she wants. Correct. Just as for Addie. Hey, did you notice in that scene, though, there's this really weird, like, zoom in where the chief is comforting her and we see his hand on her shoulder and they've just specifically zoomed into that. Oh, it's very bizarre. No, I don't remember that at all. Sounds bizarre. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what she's done. She's been at Joe's bar all day. She's really wasted. She's mourning. Her, she's grieving. She's fucking hoofing through the muffins because she's going to get all fat and sassy and happy. And then eventually we see her at the end of the day. Derek comes and finds her. And he needs to have a chat because it's taken him a fucking long time to realise what a marriage is. And that is a really big thing to break one off. And, yeah, maybe Addison deserves an apology, actually. Mm -hmm. And finally, he's come over, Mm -hmm. apologise, and Addie looks beautiful. Oh, yeah, She's just had a shower. Her hair's all slicked in a fluffy robe. Nothing's better than a fluffy white robe in a hotel. They don't exist. They're a lie. I spend a lot of time in hotels and they don't exist. And Derek says what she's fucking deserved to hear for months, for for a year, I reckon. It's probably about a year now. He says, Mm -hmm. you deserve better. I'm not proud of what I did. And I am sorry about the panties. I hate that. Not fucking sorry about anything else, just sorry he got goddamn caught. Sorry he got caught. You think it's going to be good, but he is sorry that he got caught and it's infuriating. So infuriating. Because you've been feeling this way about Meredith for a few months. You've known. It's like it's really taken Derek so long to, to see what he's done. And he's just like this poor woman sweating it. And he says, our, our marriage is over and it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. Addison takes a sip of her champagne and I've got no idea how the bitch is still drinking. And as she does, the bathroom door opens. Derek says, this is incredibly sad. And Addie says, yeah, it's incredibly sad. And then the bathroom door opens. And the steam billows out. <laughs> and he's basically not wearing a towel at all. Like when he walks out, he's just holding the corner of the towel over his crotch. Who's he? Mark. Eric Dane. Eric Dane. Who is a beautiful man. Yeah, woof. 
Snaps for Eric Day. As I said, the world's yeah, tiniest well. towel. And there is, <laughs> and they have got Honey. a smoke machine pumping out <laughs> offset, and they are pumping <laughs> the smoke out. So he walks out all like glistening, greased up and oily and glistening from this shower with perfect hair. It's just like a little. I can really tell that you have never read Smut by your description of this scene. All right, Ayla, go. He walks out of the room, mist following him after walking out of a steamy hot shower, his muscles undulating, his skin glistening in the twilight, the towel barely (laughs) covering his crotch as he slowly wraps it around his body. Seeing Derek and Addison sitting on the bed, a smirk crosses his face and a glint in his eyes as he knows that they're looking at only one thing. Because that man pulls that towel around his body so slowly. (laughs) Um, And he says, oh, this is awkward. Yes, because you couldn't cover your dick any faster. And Derek just takes a swig and is so smug about it, like, oh, you are just as bad as I thought you were. Yeah. So, yes, this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. Finally, we get some justice for Addison. We get him apologising. And then all of a sudden the show tries to fucking villainize her again. It's just all undone. It's like, yeah, you think this is what, yeah, because they want to make Derek the good guy. And they go, he gets, he's doing his big apology and it's done in such a way it's like, oh, he's so good. Look at him understanding and looking at him taking responsibility. And then it's like, oh, he didn't need to do that because this dirty woman is sleeping with Mark still anyway and she's the villain and, oh, well, you tried, Derek, because you're the best. I don't know. You're the good guy. We're good guys. When, like, honestly, as a matter of fact, of fucking course she rung Mark. She's tried so hard. She's stayed away from him. Mark treats her well. Mark loves her. Mark's followed her and begged her to take him back. Mark said, we loved each other. We were real, Addie. Like, come on, like, I want you. He doesn't, you know what? Derek doesn't want her. She also hasn't been in constant contact, inappropriate contact with Mark the whole time. No. And she knew her marriage was over. That's why she went day drinking. She said, she's like, my marriage is over. She knew. That could have been a drunk, that was a drunk dial. We know that. Derek? proactively walked up those stairs, yeah. followed Meredith into that room. Derek also, like, basically tried to sleep with Meredith yeah. in the elevator this morning. Like, good on you, Addie. Get yours, Addison. Get it. Get it, girl. And then he tried to make out with her in the staircase as well. And get it to all of our followers. Thank you all so much for listening. We are loving hearing from all of you on our Instagram and we are seeing those rate and reviews on Spotify. Thank you all so much. They mean the world to us. I'm going to jump in and say like the, all the Spotify ratings, they're so beautiful. Thank you so much. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we actually really need some starry clicks there. That would really help us. Um, we need to boost our Apple Podcasts a tiny bit just because our Spotify is going so well. We want to match it in the Apple universe as well. So if you could click the five stars in Apple, that would mean a lot. Or just leave us a little comment. Just say justice for Addison in the comments. I would love that. (laughs) And for all of you that are listening today, we do have a super cheeky surprise up for everyone. As you all know, the new episode of season 19 is going to be coming out shortly and we are going to have a little live surprise on Instagram. So we hope to all see you there. So we can have a chat while we're watching. Yeah, I think we actually should kind of announce that a little bit more. Basically, we are trying to figure out what the best time will be for us to watch that live because we are so excited and even if, like, we would love you to be watching it with us or just watching our reactions and being there so we can chat to you while we watch it. Um, But, yes, as 
basically 99% of our listeners are in America and we are over here in Australia. So it is really tricky to find a time, but we are figuring one out and then we'll let you know. And then that footage of us doing a little live watch will exist and then you can go back and watch it and interact with us, really. We just think it would be really fun to be able to talk to you guys while we watch the first episode of season 19 because who knows what's going to happen? I'm going to put some polls up on Instagram and we can't wait to hear from you what time will work out best and we will try to schedule it around. Uh, But for now, thank you all and have a good night. Bye. Bye. Sing it. Vagina. Vagina. Vagina.